0: Welcome back to another episode. Um, this is Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we strive to follow the Come, Follow Me uh, schedule put out by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, we seek to uh, learn about the Scriptures and learn from the Scriptures and um, apply them to our daily lives so that we can become greater disciples and more true disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, just a quick housekeeping note. If you're ever curious as to why sometimes my audio sounds uh, worse than others usually that means that uh, i didn't have time or i forgot to record in the morning and i'm recording from my car so (laughs) that's the difference i have um i have an at-home studio that i record from typically um and then i have my car that i have set up um, with a much lower quality microphone (laughs) Uh, just basically headphones uh you know gas station headphones with a microphone on them so If you're ever wondering and that's bothering you, that's why I apologize. I'm trying to be better about recording every morning from home uh, so you have a better quality and it doesn't distract and uh, take away from the spirit of the lesson. Anyways, today we are going to be moving on from Matthew 15 to Matthew chapter 16. Um, And like always, let's start off with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless us uh, with His Spirit before we go too far. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are indeed grateful for this day. We thank Thee for the opportunities that lie before us. We are grateful for the health and the strength that we do have. We ask Thee to please bless us that we might be able to strengthen our bodies and strengthen our spirits. Help us to become stronger disciples and to hold firmly to the iron rod. Father, please bless us with Thy Spirit. Please allow our eyes to be open and our hearts to be opened and our minds to be open that we might be able to see and learn and do those things that Thou wouldst have us do. Help us to become more converted to Thee, Father. Please forgive us of our sins and please help us to become stronger and more resilient to sin. Help us to be prepared for the coming days, Father. Help us to be able to prepare our friends and families and those around us as well. We pray for these things ever so humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So chapter sixteen is where we're at today. So starting right off um, in chapter sixteen, let's jump right in. So the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would show unto them a sign from heaven. And he and he answered and said unto them, What is evening? He Oh, sorry, when it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red and in the morning it will be foul weather to-day, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. All right, so if we jump over to the New Testament student manual, it says, The Savior rebuked the Pharisees and Sadducees for insisting that he show them a sign from heaven. He declared that they were able to forecast the weather based on the appearance of the evening sky, yet they were unable to discern the signs of the times, by which the Savior meant the evidence that he was the promised Messiah. Elder Neal A. Maxwell of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles explained why it is that a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. He said, Quote, why does this generation seek a sign queried jesus with a deep sigh more wicked and adulterous than the more wicked and adulterous the people of a particular period the more they demand signs as a condition of belief sensual individuals crave and live by sensations disciples instead walk and overcome by faith accepting gradually the evidence of things not seen which are true Close quote. So, it is important for us to understand that there are, that as Christ is saying, you cannot discern the signs of the times. There are signs, they're there. There are ways in which we can discern what is true. But we have to be more refined. We have to be more open to the Spirit. We have to be more reliant upon our spiritual and our our spiritual eyes and ears. President uh, Boyd K. Packer once said, "If all you see and hear is what you see and hear with your physical eyes and ears, you will not see or hear very much. You will not learn very much." Oftentimes, the church and other individuals are teaching us the basic fundamentals. The Lord has told us in these, the latter days, he has told us through his prophet that the church is not responsible for your spiritual growth, for your spiritual connection to the Lord. You must do that on your own. We must be reaching out past what the church has has laid out for us. We must be reaching out past what the podcasters, like myself, what the YouTubers what all these different people have laid out for us. Because it, no one can survive on a testimony grown by others. Think about it like this. If you've ever gone, right now is a good time to experience this. If you want to, as you're going about, maybe you see the hardware store or you go to a greenhouse and you see these little starter plants. They're in these little pots and they're little tiny plants. If you were to go get those, they've been started by someone else. The seed is started, it's grown, it's flourishing. If you leave it in that pot and don't do anything with it, you take it home, it will die. If all you do is water it and continue to feed it, it will die. It doesn't have enough room to grow. It can't get enough nutrients from the soil. It's there. The soil will soon be depleted, and it will become root bound and die. You have to. You have to take that, go to your own soil, dig a hole, plant it, care for it, tend it, weed it, take care of the pests. Cultivated, and then harvest. An, an important lesson to learn from this is that it's not a bad thing to start off with a testimony grown by someone else. That's understandable. Oftentimes we have to have a springboard. We have to have that, that, those training wheels on for the first time. And then after that, we take them off and we ride on our own similar to the way that a baby, while learning to walk, might hold your hand to, to keep balance while they learn how to walk properly. But they don't hold your hand forever. They won't ever go anywhere far or do anything great if they, if they have to hold your hand forever. Similar here. If all we rely on is the physical signs and we require these intense signs and we require people to tell us exactly what to do, Every step of the way, we must have these these different things. We will not progress very far. Now, obviously, there are bounds, and there are things that we must rely on. And it becomes a lot more scary because, yes, we are walking on interesting ground, (laughs) to say the least. We are stretching out and reaching out to the Lord. And we begin to develop that relationship. And while we grow that relationship, we have to rely on the scriptures, on the prophets. And we should always rely on them. They should always be a waypoint that we can tie back to and see this is the truth. Um, I was listening to uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and he was saying that um, <clears throat> one of the reasons the Bible is so important to us as Christians is because not only is it the truth, but it is a means by which we can discern what is truth. And that is far more precious. The scriptures are the same. Prayer is the same. The prophets are the same. They are a means by which, when brought in unison, become a great focusing lens by which we can discern what is truth. It's a focusing lens that focuses all the light into a single beam of pure truth that we can weed out everything else. And it allows us to discern the signs of the times and to be able to keep ourselves and our families safe. Not just safe, but in peace and joy and flourish in the Lord. All right, I've harped on that enough. Let's jump to, to verse five. And when his disciples were come and when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye amongst yourselves? Uh, why reason ye amongst yourselves, saying, "We have ye have for, ye have brought no bread"? Do ye not understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to to you concerning bread, but unto but that ye should beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not to. Not beware the, of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is a, a, a funny little moment, in my opinion, where um, the Lord is kind of saying, look, <laughs> they're, they're worried that, oh, well, we forgot to bring bread, and so the, the Lord's mad at us because we, well, we forgot to bring bread, and now we're going to be hungry, and he doesn't want to be hungry. And the Lord's saying... <laughs> Haven't you learned already? I can get bread. If we need bread, I can get, I can take care of that. I can take care of the physical needs as well as the spiritual needs. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm telling you to beware the doctrine, to beware of the doctrine. Let's jump over to the student manual and see what it says. Has it says, the Savior taught his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which was their doctrine? elder bruce r McConkie explained that that this teaching of the saviour can be likened to the need to beware of false doctrines and philosophies in all ages he said literally leaven is a substance that produces fermentation as, for instance, yeast, which causes bread to rise. Figuratively, leaven is an element which, by its fermenting, spreading influence, affects groups of people so that they believe and act in particular ways. Thus, to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees is to shun their doc- their false doctrines, their cor- their their concept that the Messiah must prove his claim to divinity by signs, for instance. Similarly today, the warning is to beware of the leaven of any group whose false doctrines and anti-Christ philosophies work to keep men from accepting the truths of the restored gospel. I would ask you to take a moment and to think about what, what might be leaven in your life. What teachings, what philosophies, what creeds have we been listening to that in some way are pulling us away from Christ? But, like we talked about yesterday, might be, might be traditional, might be the way that we've seen things, the way that things have always been. And we might even say, well, it's not, that, it's not us that's doing it. These, this group of people, they're doing this, and so we're reacting. We have to do that to, to, to this people. We have, to, we, we have to stand up. We have to do these things. Okay, but are you standing up in the way that Christ would have you stand? Or are you allowing the fermentation process to make you reactive? And are you reacting to the leaven? Is it spreading to you? Or do you have your eye single to the glory of God? And are you focused on Him and following in His footsteps? A good example of this, I might, I might think, would be, when Christ was taken away, to be tried before the high priest, and Peter stepped forward and cut off the ear of the servant. By any means, by anyone's measure, uh, by, by I shouldn't say anyone, by most people's measure, <laughs> we could we could imagine that that would be a justified act. The master is being attacked. He's going to be taken away. I have the means to protect him. It's my duty to protect him. It's my duty to do these things. I am his disciple. I step forward. I attack. I don't kill. I didn't even kill him. You know, He's fine. It was a warning shot, mostly. And yet the Savior said, no. This thing has to be this is exactly what I've been trying to teach you the whole time. This is what needs to happen. This is how things have to be. We can't allow our reactions to overcome us. And it's understandable. We are human. We are, we have the natural man. We have those tendencies, those those first instincts, those, those raging reactions that will, will pop up, whether it's overjoyed excitement at our enemy's failure or whether it's or whether it's anger or whether it's you know whatever it may be we need to temper it and control ourselves and shape ourselves into the shape that christ would have us be charity suffereth long and never faileth now i'm not saying that there should never be a a time when we defend ourselves We are told multiple times in the scriptures that it is important to defend our families upon certain conditions. That is laid forth. The Lord has declared those things. But there are times when instant reactions, that natural man, breakneck whiplash, come back at it. That's not what's right. I had an interesting experience, right? I was reading through the Book of Mormon again, and I'd always heard, you know, the story of, of Moroni, how Moroni was, you know, he would use his anger, and he would go out and do these different things, and so anger isn't necessarily bad. But what I've discovered is, every time someone during those war chapters was angry, and it specifically calls out that they were angry, they made a mistake. Moroni was angry at Pahoran, because he thought that Pahoran was withholding troops and supplies. It turns out Bahoran was actually under attack himself and needed reinforcements. And he made a mistake. Teancum, the most famous one, righteous, strong, amazing warrior, became angered and lost himself in his rage and thereby lost his life. Now, is anger an unforgivable sin or something that's so terrible? No, that's obviously one one sin that's lower on the list. But it is still a sin. The Lord has told us in the Sermon on the Mount and has warned us about anger. Do we give sway to the natural man? Do we give sway to the leaven, to the doctrines, to the philosophies of men mingled with Scripture? Or are we focused on what's true? Jumping back into it. Verse thirteen When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of God, am, of, Son of Man am? They said and they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, upon this rock will I, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he the disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. In the student manual, uh, we jump over to uh, the Savior taught the disciples about Revelation. It says in Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi is a region, uh, coast means region, uh, composed of small towns. It is located near the base of Mount Hermon and is one of the sources of the Jordan River and is overlooked by the most prominent geological feature of the area a huge rock formation at the base of Mount Hermon. It was here that an important conversation occurred between the Savior and his disciples, as recorded in Matthew 16, 13-19, in which the Savior taught about revelation, both individual revelation and the revelation needed to govern the church. President Russell M. Nelson wrote about the appropriateness of this setting for the disciples that took place between Jesus and his disciples. He says, quote, the modern day scene in Ce Philippi is unique. There is a mountain at the base of which is a mighty rock from which water seems to be flowing. These cascades comp- c- comprise one of three major headwaters of the Jordan of the River Jordan, literally the liquid lifeline of this country. as Jesus was preparing to conclude his mortal mini- his mortal ministry, his crucifixion took his crucifixion took place six months later here. he he trained future leaders of his church. Could it be that the Savior taught his disciples to this spot? Excuse me. Could it be that the Savior brought his disciples to this spot to teach the lesson that this majestic mountain symbolized the rock of Christ from whom revelation would flow, revelation to to bring life and light to them, just as that flowing water of the river Jordan nourishes Israel? Excuse me just as moses struck close quote, "just as moses struck the rock with his staff and water flowed from it saving the people of israel from death in the wilderness the savior is the rock from which the saving doctrines and ordinances flow empowering us to lay hold on eternal life So we come back again. Uh, let's let's read this next section, and then, I'll, then I'll, we'll jump into that. Uh, so this is under this section: individual individual revelation needed for a testimony of Jesus Christ, as recorded in Matthew sixteen, seventeen through eighteen. Jesus Christ commended Peter, recognizing that his testimony came not from the testimony of others or from physical evidences but from revelation from Heavenly Father. Elder Dieter F. uckdorf of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught that faith in Jesus Christ should be the core of our testimony and that this testimony must come to each person through an individual revelation. He says, quote, We cannot depend on the testimonies of other people. We need to know for ourselves. President Gordon B. Hinckley said, Every Latter-day Saint has the responsibility to know for himself or herself with a certainty beyond doubt that Jesus is the resurrected, living Son of the living God. The source of this sure knowledge and firm conviction is divine revelation. We receive this testimony when the Holy Spirit speaks to the Spirit within us. We will receive a calm and unwavering certainty that will be the source of our testimony and conviction irrespective of our culture, race, language, or socioeconomic background. These promptings of the Spirit rather than human logic alone, will be the true foundation upon which our testimony will be built. The core of this testimony will always be the faith in and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and His, and his divine mission. And that comes from the October 2006 conference, his talk titled, The Power of a Personal Testimony. Uh, one more. Uh, As the Savior taught Peter about Revelation... He used wordplay on Peter's name, declaring to Simon, thou art Peter, <coughs> excuse me, thou art Peter or Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. The Greek word Petros means an isolated small rock or stone. The Greek word, the Greek word Petra can also mean a stone, but in addition it can refer to stony soil bedrock or a large mass of rock from these words we learn that it was not upon peter as a man that the church would be built but upon the bedrock of revelation to read about the significant oh sorry um howard president howard w hunter taught and upon this rock i will build my church upon what rock peter upon a man no not upon a man upon the rock of revelation the thing which they are talking about he had just said flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my father which is in heaven this revelation that this revelation that jesus is the christ is the foundation upon which he would build his church close quote. in the scriptures the phrase the gates of hell can refer to the powers of death or the powers of evil. Thus the Savior's promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail means that death and evil will not permanently overpower the church. The restoration of the church in the latter days is one way this promise has been fulfilled. One reason the gates of hell will not prevail is because the keys spoken of in Matthew 16, 18-19 are instrumental in the salvation of the children of men, both as well for the dead as for the living. President Harold B. Lee explained that providing temple ordinances for our deceased loved ones is another way of preventing the gates of hell from prevailing against the Lord's church. He says, quote, "Now the gates of hell would have prevailed against the Lord's work if there hadn't been given or, if if there hadn't been given the ordinances pertaining to the salvation of those who are dead. During those periods when the priesthood to perform the saving ordinances of the gospel was not upon the earth, there were millions who lived, many of whom were faithful souls." If there hadn't been a way by which the saving ordinances of the gospel could be performed for those who thus died without the knowledge of the gospel, the gates of hell would have prevailed against the Father's plan of salvation. Close quote. Now on to the about keys. In the first, there's a, there's a lot about this scripture. This is this is a. This is an important uh, section right here because here the Lord is teaching us how we are to progress, how we are to proceed once he is gone because the Lord knows that he can't be on the earth all the time. And so how are we to proceed? How are we to progress? And the Lord tells us, as we've seen, revelation is key to that. Revelation and priesthood are two of the most important pieces of that in learning how to proceed. Both following what the church is teaching us, the priesthood, following that structure, receiving the ordinances of salvation, and then personal revelation, personal growth. There is always the two sides of it. Just as there are the male, the authority, the priesthood, and the female, the loving, the nurturing, the home. Those two things come into balance to create salvation, exaltation through Christ, from which, from whom all blessings flow. Just a few more things here. In the first century AD, keys were typically made of iron and were bulkier, more expensive, and less common than modern household keys. To hold the keys of a house was a position of great trust. Thus, keys were a fitting symbol of special authority, responsibility, and purpose. Ancient scriptures were repeated make make repeated use of the symbol of keys which represents the power to lock unlock open and shut and permit or prevent entrance six days after jesus told peter i will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven peter came together with james and john received the promised keys on the mount of transfiguration which i believe we will be getting to that to probably tomorrow um president joseph f smith defined the keys of the priesthood as such he said Quote, the priesthood in general is the authority given to man to act for God. Every man ordained to any degree of the priesthood has this authority delegated to him. It is it is but it is necessary that every act performed under this authority shall be done at the proper time and proper place, in the proper way and after the proper order. The power of these the, the power of directing these labors constitutes the keys of the priesthood. Close quote elder Bruce R. McConkie wrote that priesthood keys quote are the right of presidency the directing the controlling governing power close quote peter exercised these priesthood keys when he presided over the selection of new apostles uh, of a new apostle oversaw the spreading of the gospel to samaria received a revelation con- regarding gentile converts and presided over the jerusalem conference the pre- the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints holds all the keys of the kingdom. The president and his counselors, the First Presidency, have the right to preside over the church. In, in part with that, Peter and the other apostles received the priesthood keys that made their actions and decisions binding both on earth and in eternity. President Russell M. Nelson explained that the keys promised to Peter in Matthew sixteen nineteen include the sealing authority exercised in our temples today. Authority that makes it possible for families to be bound together for eternity, we should understand the sealing authority of the priesthood. Jesus refers to his to this authority long ago when he taught his apostles, Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. The same authority has been restored in these latter days, just as the priesthood is eternal, without beginning or end. So is the effect of the priesthood, so is the effect of the priesthood ordinances that bind families together forever. And that's from uh, the April 2001 conference, Personal Preparation for Temple Blessings. President Boyd K. Packer shared an experience in which President Spencer W. Kimball testified that modern-day apostles hold the keys given to, pre- to Peter anciently. In 1976, following a conference in Copenhagen, Denmark, President Spencer W. Kimball invited us to a small church to see the statues of Christ and the Twelve Apostles by Bertel Thorval- Thorvaldsen. The Christus stands in an alcove an alcove beyond the altar. Standing in an, in an order along the side of the chapel are the twelve are statues of the Twelve, with Paul replacing Judas Iscariot. President Kimball told the elderly caretaker that at the very time Thorvaldsen was creating those beautiful statues in Denmark, a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ was taking place in America with apostles and prophets receiving the authority from those who held it anciently. Gathering those Gathering those present closer to him, he said to the caretaker, We are living apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And pointing to Elder Pine- Pinegar, he said, Here is a seventy, like those spoken of in the New Testament. We, are standing near the, we were standing near the statue of Peter, whom the sculptor depicted holding keys in his hand, symbolic of the keys of the kingdom. President Kimball said, We hold the real keys, as Peter did, and we use them every day. Then came an experience I shall never forget. President Kimball, this gentle prophet, turned to President Johann H. Benthin of the Copenhagen stake and said in commanding voice, I want you to tell every prelate, every prelate, ecclesiastical leader, in Denmark that they do not hold the keys. I hold the keys there came to me that witness known to latter-day saints but difficult to describe to one who has not experienced it and i knew that in very fact here stood the living prophet who held the keys I want that to be something that we think about today. This talk of keys, revelation, Christ's church growing, the power of it. It's it's such a rich doctrine. It's such a rich doctrine that's so powerful. It's so powerful that we must take time to, to study it, ponder it, and allow the Spirit to teach us individually, And by so doing, we can grow closer to the Lord. I know that is true. Let's jump back into verse 21. We're almost done. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests, scribes and and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels and when he shall reward and when he and then shall he reward every man according to his works verily i say unto you there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the son of man coming in his kingdom What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What is our soul worth? The Lord tells us that the worth of souls is great. Let every man, if any man, will come after the Lord. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after him. The Lord has laid out the path. He has shown us the way. It is not necessarily easy, but with him we can do all things. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I testify of the truth of the gospel. I testify of the power of the priesthood, the power of personal revelation. I testify that the restored gospel is upon the earth again today, that we can receive wondrous blessings if we will turn our face to the Lord and take up our cross and follow after him. I testify that this is true. And I ask the Lord to bless us with the strength, the courage, and the faith to follow after the Savior. And I do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.